today on the Blind Broadcaster Pod, Westwood One Radio Broadcaster, College PXP Voice, Ted Emmerich. If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. If you have suggestions for guests you'd like to have on the pod, email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at K-I-N-G underscore T-S-B. And if you want to try to find me on Facebook, just use the email address at the top of this intro. Enjoy the episode with Ted Emmerich. First off, got to give you some props on the tribute to your dad. Sorry I caught you in a rush last night. I, did, I mean, I didn't mean to catch in the middle of doing some other stuff last night, so. No, no worries, man. No, I, it, it's all good. But I do got to give you props on the tribute you did to your dad. I'm not sure if he's still around, but if he is, that's a blessing. If he is, if he's not, I'm sorry for the loss. But what gave you the inspiration on putting together the tribute for your dad and have you put another one up yet and for those that want to actually listen to that tribute to your dad how can folks go find it so you know my my dad passed away last april sorry uh, to hear that yeah he had been uh fighting uh, kidney disease and, and uh-huh. many other issues over the years he was on dialysis three times a week okay. um, and uh, had a heart attack you know went into a coma and uh, died about uh, three days later so you know as 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 shocking as all of that it was very different from my mom who who died after a 20-year battle with breast cancer you know there was a moment with my mom where she went in hospice care and uh, you can somewhat mentally prepare for it uh, and and say your goodbye honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and there is a sense of peace that comes with that. With my dad, even though he was fighting so much, um, it was still sudden. You know, when you have a heart attack and you go into a coma and you, you never get that moment to truly say goodbye, even though, you know, the doctors will tell you they, you know, he can still uh, hear you and um, there, there's no response. There's no back and forth like you know, I'm used to, uh, that's the, the thing that you miss the most are, are the conversations uh, just about anything uh, in daily life. And so there was never that moment where you could say goodbye. There wasn't that sense of closure, uh, that, that I could find. Uh, and so when, when that happens now, uh, all of a sudden, uh, we're cleaning out my dad's house and, and getting it ready to sell and, and all of that moving forward. And I find these boxes in the garage that I, I never knew existed. Uh, and, and the garage had kind of turned into a storage unit. Honestly, uh, there was no there was no car in there. My dad would just park the car outside the garage because there's just so much stuff in there. Sure. We're, we're cleaning it out, and I find these boxes that have tapes of my dad, and from every stage of his career. Uh, going back to his first professional radio job, uh, fresh out of Loyola University in New Orleans, he was at WCKW River Parish Radio in Laplace, Louisiana, 
working the overnight shift as a country music DJ and doing play-by-play -play for high school sports, ball and basketball and baseball and whatnot. And it was just mind blowing for me to be able to listen to my dad at, at that age, you know, his early to mid twenties. And, you know, you find another box and there's him and, and calling the uh, Texas Longhorns women basketball games from the 1989-90 season. Um, there are other tapes of his work on the Texas State Network and, of course, at KRLD, where he was for 25 years. And uh, so just to be able to follow every step of his career, um, that was so special. And, and honestly, that helped bring about a sense of closure because right? you, you, you feel like he is still there and I, I still feel his presence every day. But I just, I had the idea because so many people adored him. I thought, why not share this with people? And so I created a SoundCloud um, and I'm gonna double check the link while I'm, I'm here with you, but. Uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that first one because yeah. I'm like, wow, that's, that's something you don't see every day from a kid to their parents because you just don't get that with a lot of kid, you know, father, son, mother, daughter relationships. You don't get that as yeah. often. Yeah, no. And so I found the link. Uh, it's soundcloud.com slash Roger Emmerich, all one word, R-O-G-E-R-E-M-R-I-C-H. And you know, mm -hmm. then from last summer, I posted all kinds of stuff. Uh, the uh, like I mentioned at WCKW, his first real job, a clip of his play-by-play -play from a state championship game there in Louisiana at the Superdome, December of 1983. Oh, wow. Uh, clips of uh, him uh, uh, anchoring a DJ shift from February of 1985. Then when he moved to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, in, I believe, 86, November of that year, a sportscast from KDNT, uh, a station that is now defunct, but uh, this was a station in Denton, Texas, just north of Dallas, um, you know, a commercial station. And, and he also was a DJ and, and it's news and sports and play-by-play -play there. Um, there's a, let's see here, what else did I find? He, uh, his, his recap uh, feature from the Rangers season in 1996, when the Texas Rangers won their first division title, went to the postseason for the first time. It was, it was a piece, a seven minute long piece that he uh, produced and, and anchored uh, and delivered and, and it won awards uh, in the Dallas area, won a Katie award. Uh, so, and he was so proud of that. Uh, that was obviously such a special time uh, in the Rangers history and, and he put that together. Uh, so just, just sharing all, all these um, uh, segments from, from every step of his career has been uh, so much fun to do. Was that where you felt like you got the love and the broadcast bug was basically watching your dad work? Or was there something else that got you, that put broadcasting under radar? Or was there something else before broadcasting would be your life's work, kind of, sort of? 
Luther, I think that's where it started. That's fair to say, because at such an early age, I was tagging along with my dad, uh, whether it be to a, I, I remember fondly uh, just going to Cowboys games with him and, and sitting in the auxiliary press box and, you know, I'd have a pass as well. And he'd put me to work. I, you know, whether it's just holding a microphone, we'd cover both locker rooms. I remember the first time that Emmett Smith returned to Texas Stadium as an Arizona Cardinal, as weird as that was. Definitely. Um, I, I was about, you know, I mean, at that age, I was probably 13 or so. And I, I went to the Arizona locker room. My dad was in the Cowboys locker room, you know, doing interviews. And, you know, of course, there's this massive crowd around Emmett. And I had, you know, my dad's secondary recorder and held that mic in Emmett's face. And as a kid, I, of course, I'm, I wouldn't dare ask a question. I certainly didn't uh, have the chops to do that at that point. But just contributing in some minor way and being around it, being being able to soak that in in a professional environment and seeing how others worked and seeing how my dad worked, obviously, uh, that 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 told me right there, I, I wanted to be around this. It, it just seemed like such a cool job. Um, but the more and more I was exposed to it, uh, I, I fell in love with play-by-play, something a little different than... Uh, uh, what my dad eventually did, of course, with KRLD for so many years, he was an anchor and reporter, did play-by-play -play early in his career. Uh, but I, for me, the the top dream uh, was certainly play-by-play, -play, and, and that's what I decided to chase. So when you got into high school, <clears throat> as you kept moving up the ladder, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, were there any opportunities at your high school to do broadcasts and what did you feel like you learned and the lessons you took away if there were broadcast opportunities at your high school that you still use today? So I went to Dallas Christian uh, and it's funny I, I hear about so many high schools these days that have their own radio station or have their own TV station with professional equipment and I would have killed for something like that. That would have, that would have been just phenomenal. Um, we didn't have that, obviously. <laughs> of course not. But but what we did have, uh, you know, it, it was just it was a way to get in front of a microphone was public address announcing. Mm -hmm. I know that rule because I did that for three years. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just it's a way to get behind a mic, and you, you still have a crowd. And no, it's not play-by-play, -play, which I knew then is exactly what I wanted to do. But it was still a way uh, to get better, to improve. It, even just working on obviously your voice, your elocution. Um, that, that's you're you're still performing in a sense. And so I, I did that for Dallas Christian baseball and, and boys and girls basketball and volleyball. And, you know, that, that was, that was a lot of fun because of course, you know, the people that are on those teams are all your friends. Um, and so you, you could, you could have fun with it. Um, so I, you know, just, uh, just getting comfortable in front of a mic that, that, that was the starting point. 
uh, and you know, much later, I'm, I'm obviously able to get the opportunities at the University of North Texas to, to do play-by-play. -play. So as a public address announcer, when you <clears throat> started to when you finished, did you feel like you were getting better or how much do you still feel like now, even though you're doing TV, radio from time to time, how much do you feel like you're still striving to improve? Oh, even every, though you've done it for a while. Yeah, oh, every time out. No, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate, Luther, uh, being hired by ESPN at, at 2015 and, uh, you know, been with them for five years now. Uh, but you're never comfortable. You're never mm -hmm. complacent. You're, you're always trying to get better and serve the viewer, serve the fan uh, in your storytelling and how you capture the moment and how you set up your analyst. And you, you want to do the game that's happening in front of you justice. Uh, and I, I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as a perfect broadcast. I, that doesn't mean you're not striving for it every time out, but I, I don't think you ever achieve perfection. And that's, that's what makes it fun. It's such a challenge play by play. You're, you're flying by the seat of your pants, whether it's on TV or radio. Uh, it, it, it's ad living. You're not, there's no teleprompter. There, there is no safety net. You know, on radio, you you are trying to bring that game to life. It's theater of the mind, and it's all about description and the strong action verbs and and just a a long list uh, of things that you're trying to do. And on TV, it's a very different challenge, but uh, still rewarding nonetheless. I, I love them both. I, they're two very different crafts, but. I'm I'm still trying to get better, I, and that's that's the thing. During this uh, this downtime, uh, just trying to review my own work and see how I can improve uh, when the games do return. When you went to North Texas, what did you take away from that? When you left high school, went to college, was that your first choice of college or? Did you have a particular college you wanted to go to and North Texas just fell in your lap because of a communications program or what made you decide to go to North Texas over maybe your top two or three that you had in your mind? North Texas, you... Luther, North Texas was far and away my number one choice. I, I didn't apply anywhere else <clears throat> because North Texas Broadcasting Program, which was started by the legendary Bill Mercer, who is still with us at 94 years old. And still sharp as a tag. I remember listening to his episode on PXP Cast, and man, yeah. I couldn't believe how much he still remember after all these years. I'm like, there are just some people that have minds of steel traps. He's a walking, talking encyclopedia. He could, he could do a game tomorrow if, if you really needed it. Yeah, I'm telling you, he is he is that good. And of course, his his resume speaks for itself. Uh, from <coughs> the Rangers to a few years with the Chicago White Sox and even world class championship wrestling at the Dallas. Mm -hmm. But he started the program in North Texas and KNCU and eventually NTTV. 
And I had the good fortune of being in his final class in 2007. I always like to say I drove him into retirement. Uh, <laughs> but you just, you learn so much, just the mechanics of play-by-play -play and pacing and cadence and your vocabulary, improving that. Um, uh, he, he is a mentor of mine. He is a friend of mine. And I, uh, I had met him at an early age, uh, my freshman year of high school. And I just, I remember him telling me, you know, he knew uh, of my dad, of course. And he just said, come to North Texas, we'll make something out of you. And I, that's, just, that's the number one place I wanted to go. I wanted to sit under Bill Mercer's learning tree. And I'm so glad I to do that. <clears throat> what were the do's and the don'ts that Bill Mercer, because I know a lot of professors will teach the do's and the don'ts and will put mistakes and copy on purpose just to see if you learn the lessons and improve. But when you went to North Texas and Mr. Mercer was teaching your class. What were his do's and don'ts that you still use? Well, the, the first thing is eliminating two words from my vocabulary. Uh, the first word is get, and the second word is will. Uh, get, it, get in terms of he gets five yards, or he gets the basket and the foul. Bill believed that get is the laziest of all verbs. Why use get when you can use a vivid action verb in its place? Uh, he scores the basket, he flips it in, he scoops it in and the foul. Uh, he churns for five yards. He surges ahead for five yards. He plows forward for forward five. five yards. It just... It, it, find that mental thesaurus and keep flipping through it over the course of your broadcast, and that will help you stand out uh, as an announcer. Uh, don't be lazy. Uh, so, again, it's theater of the mind. Let's entertain the listener or the viewer, uh, because that, that otherwise, anybody can do this. Anybody who is uneducated uh, can put a headset on and just spout nonsense, uh, be a professional about it. So that, that, that was lesson number one on the first day of class, I can tell you. And what, and the other end, what was his process on why to not use the word will? Yeah, so will in terms of future tense, and it's a crutch that you hear many announcers, even some at the network level, use today. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not perfect with it. I, I'm trying to still eliminate it uh, because we, we get into that habit sometimes of saying uh, he will throw it when he is throwing it. What, why rely on future tense when we need to stay in present tense? Uh, you know, he will score. No, he's rounding third and he scores. Yes, keep it, keep it in present tense. It's just, and maybe that is more of a, uh, a pet peeve on, on the part of, of Bill and, and perhaps many uh, potential employers don't share them. 
but it's something that was drilled into me and and I try to remove that from my call it's you know it's not like I said none of us are perfect but uh, just just in general we want to stay in present tense so when you got signed off on your first mission as a PXP voice was it still in college and if so how often would you send your stuff back in to Mr. Mercer, even though you had finished college to have him listen and critique your work? Or how often do you still send things to other folks to critique your work to see what their thoughts are? Well, I can tell you overall, I still do that to, to the people that I trust that are uh, in my inner circle, so to speak, that friends or mentors that, whether it be producers or fellow announcers, excuse me, that I really look up to. And as for Bill, it's funny, Luther, I don't even have to send him anything. Somehow he finds uh, where I am and is able to punch up a, a live stream, either of a Westwood One broadcast or uh, ESPN or a Fox Sports Southwest airing of a, a Texas high school state championship game. Um, and he always chimes in. He always emails me. I, he, I, I love that he is so active uh, at his age and he still loves the craft. Um, it, it, it was his work. It was his life's work. It is his legacy. And he loves checking in on his former students. It doesn't matter if it's somebody like Craig Way, uh, who has been the voice of the University of Texas for more than two decades, uh, or Mark Folliwell, television voice of the Dallas Mavericks, or even me. Uh, he, he loves finding uh, his former students on radio or TV and keeping up with them. And I, I always treasure uh, those critiques. And speaking of Craig Way, now we go to Texas. Because I remember hearing you my first time, actually was when you were doing scoreboard updates with the Longhorn Radio Network when Craig Way had Roger Wallace and now his <clears throat> current color analyst right now, well, excuse me, Roger Wallace is on the sidelines and Keith Moreland was upstairs at the time. And now you just flip roles and you have Roger Wallace and Juan Cosby on the sideline. <clears throat> but I remember you on scoreboards when it was Keith Moreland and Roger Wallace and Craig Way. Take me back to when you decided, or maybe they called you, to be a part of the network. That was an enormous break for me, Luther. That was uh, while I was still in college. Uh, that was leading into my senior year at North Texas, so the fall of 2008. And I, I just remember that summer, uh, Craig... Uh, who I'd gotten to know uh, mm -hmm. over the years, of course, being a North Texas alum and uh, just being a part of the sports media landscape. First, he was at KRLD for many years in DFW mm -hmm. uh, before uh, moving to Austin. And he said, you know, hey, I've, I've heard your stuff because I was working uh, in the Dallas area, uh, performing the same role as a studio anchor for a high school broadcast for South Lake Carroll, uh, top football programs in the state of Texas, let alone the Metroplex. Mm -hmm. 
And Craig, just like Bill, he consumes, it seems like, everything, and especially when it comes to high school football. Craig Way is the dean of high school football on radio and television. Um, and he heard my work and he said, I really like your stuff. I'd like you to put in for it. I mean, it was no, certainly no guarantee, you know, hey, you've got the job, but he just said, I think you might have a shot. It wasn't just Craig's decision. Uh, people at the university, of course, are weighing in and, and they would make the final call along with the network. I submitted my materials, you know, cover letter, resume, the whole bit, went through a process, phone interview and whatnot, and eventually got the call that I had landed the gig. And at, at, at that point, at just about to turn 21, um, wow, what an opportunity. Uh, because again, we, we, know, we know the weight that the University of Texas carries. Oh, tell me about it. Just that brand. <laughs> and, you know, I grew up and, and lived it. I'm being in the state. And, of course, listened to Craig for so many years, like many others. And now to get the chance to work alongside him, uh, that was, that just uh, blew my mind. So uh, got to do that for nine years for football and men's basketball. And it was so much fun. And... <clears throat> Hopefully we're able to get all your classwork in while still having enough time to prep for the studio scoreboard for Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was another piece of homework, right? But that that was something you looked forward to as opposed to finishing that paper on time or whatever the assignment may be. Um, so take me into your when you start doing the scoreboards plus doing the college work, how often <clears throat> or what would be your normal prep week as you got ready for Saturday to do the scoreboard while also finishing out your senior year in college? Yeah, it, it's, it was all about time management. Uh, I can tell you that, just making sure I'm carving out enough time throughout the week uh, to get everything done in both my classes and, of course, for the game on, on Saturday in the fall and, you know, two games a week, certainly, uh, when you move to the spring semester with men's basketball. Um, I, I developed a system where, I mean, listen, I, the funny thing is, mm -hmm. when you're the studio anchor for the University of Texas or, or really any university, it's, it's not as if I am prepping so much on the game that right. they're playing. It's all about the country at large. I'm focusing on the Big 12, of course, and the top 25 uh, for my scoreboard updates. I did have a highlight segment at halftime. Uh, it's just the way the uh, Texas format worked. Uh, I handled the highlights for uh, halftime. So the first half highlights, right? And yeah. so, yes, I would, I would certainly prep for the game just a little bit, but I, I, I am not creating charts for uh, for that game uh i just i have a page of notes uh you know again this and when i just started 2008 2009 you're talking about colt mccoy's uh junior and senior years yes colt mccoy so good so good yes uh, and quan cosby who you referenced to eventually yep. the sideline reporter and, mm -hmm. and the list the list goes on and on the, the standouts from those teams yep um 
so, uh, you know, really I'm, I'm focusing on uh, everyone else in the league uh, and of course the country at large, uh, putting together notes on, on every game that I might touch on. And, you know, listen, there might be some surprises if some uh, game that uh, does not include a ranked team goes to triple overtime and has a wild finish. I'm going to pull the highlight from that game and, you know, give a, a note or two about that. That's, that's the wonderful thing about College Saturdays. You never know what to expect. And so, boy, I mean, I'm looking forward to that when that starts up again, because you never I know. know. <laughs> that's, that's what makes it a blast. So, you know, you're, just, you're, you're preparing a little bit, a few notes here and there on each game. And honestly, a bulk of the work comes on Saturday, because then you're able to pull highlights from uh, either Learfield or IMG at the time. Of course, now it's Learfield IMG altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, back then you had two uh, separate networks that housed so many different schools and mm -hmm. you're on the email list uh, for their highlights and you're, you're pulling those throughout the day and you're, you're just, you're using your news judgment skills. Okay. What's, what's interesting. What, what will the listener care about? Uh, and uh, you're trying to compress things into a three minute segment uh, twice in the pregame, you know, uh, once at halftime, twice in the post game, and then pepper it in throughout the game uh, with little updates here and there. Uh, keeps you on your toes, that's for sure. Yeah, because I always wondered about that because I, I know when they would come out of either network or local before they would throw it back to, you know, Bill or Craig, whoever was doing the PHP, they would sprinkle you in for the scoreboards. And I know you probably have a producer and you're like, you know, after 10 seconds and then they do a countdown and then you come back. How long did it take you to figure or what to listen for with your studio producer plus trying to make sure you're listening to make sure that everything in your headsets is working like it's supposed to when you're trying to hear, you know, the broadcast on site and everything else to make sure that you're in the right spot so that when your segments come up, they're clean and not, oh, I'm, I'm five seconds behind and they're already back on the broadcast and you're trying to get your scoreboard in. Well, the first part of your question, so I, I didn't have a producer with me in studio. Uh, okay. It, it was all me. Uh, I could talk directly to the main board op, uh, who was actually stationed in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Kathy Stamps, who I became really close to, even though, funny enough, we've never met in person. Uh, she, she is the point guard. She is the one who connects all of us. I can hear Kathy, uh, and Kathy then can pull me up to Craig and Keith on site, and Bill Harwell, who is the remote producer. He is the producer on site. And I think he's still doing that. He is all these years later. Bill has been doing it for years, and he is outstanding at what he does, keeping everyone organized. The Bob Newton of Texas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, and, and honestly, Luther, I, to your point about a countdown, mm -hmm. uh, you, you hear that most often, certainly in TV, when you have the producer in your ear and you're going to break, you know, five, four, three, two, one, or whatever it may be. That's something you get used to. Uh, for the Longhorn Radio Network, I didn't have that. And okay. so 
honestly, it was just an internal clock that I developed. Um, and, and at first, you know, when I first got the job, they're telling me, you know, try to keep those in-game updates to X number of seconds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I started to time them just to, just to start out, just to make sure that I didn't go over that. I need to hit my time because obviously we cannot afford to have Craig miss a play because I was going, going too long with an update. Exactly. Uh, after a while, I just get a feel for it. I, I know that, okay, I can fit in three scores with maybe one little note in between uh, for an in-game update. And, and that gets me to, let's say, 30 or 40 seconds. Right. Um, you know, and for, for the actual segments, either in pregame, halftime, or postgame, uh, Bill will tell me ahead of time, you know, hey, we're, we're a little light here. Feel free to, to go four or five minutes. And, okay, great. I can fit in this highlight and this highlight and that highlight. You know, I can fit in an, an Eli Gold highlight from Alabama. I can fit in a Mick Hubert highlight from Florida. Mm-hmm. Or Wyatt Thompson from Kansas State, you know, or whoever it may be. Uh, maybe I can fit in, you know, five or six highlights as opposed to just two. You know, sometimes Bill would tell me leading up to the segment, okay, we're, re- we're running really tight. And the interview with Mac Brown coming up to close out the pregame, it ran a little long. So, Ted, we need you to cut it to about two and a half minutes. And so, great. You know, this, this is going to – this is almost going to be an extended in-game uh, update where maybe I'm only, I'm only using one highlight and I'm just giving scores the rest of the way and nugget here and there and I'm getting out of there because we have to get to that Mac Brown interview and then we have to give Craig enough time to set the scene before the coin toss and you know obviously give the play-by-play guy enough room that that, that cushion is so important because you don't want to be rushed right up until kickoff mm-hmm. so it's it is an orchestra where we are all playing our part even on radio tv i mean it it is to the nth degree with how how many people uh, go into putting on a live sporting event but even on the radio side uh with all the moving parts uh you're just trying to play your role and do it to the best of your ability well <clears throat> when did you get your first like PXP gig or was it when you were on the long run radio network where they let you, you know, do a couple of games to fill in for Craig, but we all know Craig doesn't take much time off. <laughs> I, I filled in for Craig only once in nine years as the studio anchor for football and men's basketball. He, he is a machine and I, I admire him so much. Now I will say certainly conflicts, come into play during basketball mm-hmm. season. He can't be at every single men's and women's basketball game. Craig is one of the few uh, college announcers in the country who is the primary voice for both men's and women's basketball. Mm-hmm. So he will do plenty of back-to-backs and, and many of them involving travel, a men's game on Big Monday and a women's game uh, back home on Tuesday, let's say, or he's flying out to Manhattan, Kansas uh, on, on a Tuesday morning for a game that night, getting back on Wednesday, and the schedule goes on and on. Uh, sometimes when the men and the women played on the same night, uh, he would have somebody local in Austin 
uh, do that game. It, it's just uh, it, it, it saves money, uh, certainly, and and you know they they are they are closer. I was in Dallas, and I was able to do my work uh, as a studio anchor out of the local affiliate studios at KRLD at 10:80 a.m. Right uh, in Dallas. So I filled in only once uh, for Craig, and that was the Big 12 tournament uh, in 2000, I want to say eight or nine, uh, when the DCU in the quarterfinals, uh, outside of that, uh, I, I, I had a play by play gig of my own. My, my first, it's funny. I, I got this right out of college. The, right. the first play by play job that I had was in McKinney ISD, uh, three McKinney high schools. McKinney is a town, a suburb, about 45 minutes north of Dallas, and it's on a little station up there, 97.5 KLAK, and it was the perfect play-by-play gig right out of college because you get to do everything, football and boys and girls basketball and baseball and softball. Uh, now, this was all on the side, and, and obviously a la carte, you're, you know, you're paid per event. I was not uh, a full-time or even considered part-time uh, employee of the station. So I, that's the thing, Luther, when I, when I got out of college, it, it was all about, uh, piecing together my employment. I had this gig with the university of Texas. I had this gig with McKinney ISD and KLAK. I, uh, landed a job first with 105.3, the fan part-time mm-hmm. and moved a year later to 103.3 FM ESPN, the ESPN radio affiliate, in Dallas, which is now the flagship uh, station of the Dallas Mavericks, with Chuck Cooperstein right. and Brad Davidson, and, and they were even at the time. Uh, so that you're you're trying to just build up. You're trying to take every single opportunity that comes your way. I was not a full time employee anywhere until 2013, four years after I graduated college. Really, uh, that's 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 the stark reality uh, of this business. Sometimes, you know, you don't you have to piece it together. You have to make sure that it all adds up. And sometimes you, you are a member of the so-called gig economy. And honestly, that even continues to this day. So you mean to tell me you didn't get your first full-time gig till seven years ago. That's right. So at the height, when you were doing high school stuff, were you thinking, okay, if this is where I'm supposed to be, I'm satisfied and content with that. Over you thinking, okay, at some point, this high school gig is going to lead me to a full-time gig doing college games and so on and so forth. And it's just the starting point so I can use the high school vehicle to get to the goal that I want to reach in my lifetime as a PXP voice. Yeah, I mean, you never you never want to use the phrase stepping stone sure. uh, during the interview process when you're talking with uh, station management or the athletic director at McKinney ISD, but of course that's what it was. I right. mean, I, I, I didn't picture myself uh, being the voice of the McKinney Lions for 20 years. Uh, it happened to be for five years. Uh, but it was a way for me to improve and ply my craft and honestly make my mistakes at that level, as opposed to later on. It's, it's, 
uh, that's for any line of work. Um, you know, you take that first job and you learn what you can from it, but hopefully you improve to a certain point where you can move on uh, to the next job. And that's, that's how it was. Five years in McKinney, uh, then landed a, a better, more a high profile uh, high school job in Dallas on a better station uh, with Coppell High School on 660 K-Sky, better signal, uh, honestly, a better crew overall uh, as well. And it just, it, it leads to a better tape. I mean, listen, you, you, you never want to get cocky about it, but you, the way you, you have to have ambition, you have to have dreams. And so you want to be able to envision taking that next step, climbing that next rung on the ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know how the path is going to lay out. Uh, of course we don't. It's different for everyone. But uh, for me, I, I treasure that time because those tapes that I, where I was able to put down and eventually send off um, and the, the feedback that came from it made me a better broadcaster. And eventually with Coppell, I, the tape that I put together in 2014 and sent off to Westwood One just on a lark, that got me hired. So it, it's, it's funny to say getting hired off a high school tape, but play by play is play by play. And if, if you can do it well at the high school level, as it was told to me uh, at that stage, you know, listen, when you don't have game notes or a sports information director to lean on, uh, and it, it sounds like this, you know, try your hand at the college game and, and let's see how it goes. We believe in you. So I, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for those years doing high school football uh, here in, in the Dallas area. And honestly, I still love doing it. Uh, like I said, for Fox Sports Southwest, doing the state championship games every December at AT&T Stadium. What's with one gig? You've done that since what, 2014, the last five, six years? So my, my first year was 2012. My first assignment was the London Olympics. Okay. Uh, and my first game, if you want to call it that, either in uh, you know, college football or college basketball, uh, that was in the fall of 2015. So from 2012 to your first actual game play-by-play, -play, what do you feel like when you did the Olympics? A, what was the experience like? And B, what were the lessons from when you did the first Olympics to when you started calling college football? <clears throat> what lessons do you feel like you learned there and that you're still using now? Yeah, so the London Olympics, that, that's an eye-opener, right, in, in the Olympic Games. But in, in a city like London, mm -hmm. uh, and the assignment that I had as the general assignment reporter, this was no play-by-play, -play, but Westwood One, I, I had stayed in touch with them because my relationship with, with them goes back to high school, where another one of my side gigs was as a spotter. Uh, whenever they would roll through town, have a Cowboys game or a, a, a college football game at TCU, let's say, uh, I, I would be the spotter or the announcer. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and I worked with the likes of Kevin Kugler, uh, Dave Sims, uh, Ian Eagle, uh, Harry Callis, uh, Marv Albert. Um, that that was uh, such a terrific experience because I, I, it's like going into the lab and seeing the very best uh, do their work, and you're, you're picking out little things, little things they say, how they treat a situation, how they put together their boards. Uh, that was invaluable uh, for me. So I had that relationship with them. And uh, since I graduated from college in 2009, I had sent them tapes. And if nothing else, just for feedback. I, I, I never thought at that time, you know, hey, I'm going to get hired off this tape. You know, right. this is good enough where I can just work for Westwood One right away. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to learn from the best. And, and just the fact that they would listen and give me advice and the constructive criticism meant so much to me. But by the time, uh, let's say, late 2011, early 2012 rolled around, uh, they got in touch with me and said, we think we have a role for you at the London Games. What do you think of this? And it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. I'll be a runner. I don't care. Just, I would love to be a part of it. What they uh, had in mind was producer slash reporter. And honestly, more on the producing side where I would be hunkered down in the compound and editing sound and putting things together for both their late night recap show and any live play-by-play -play events that they had, including, of course, Team USA Basketball. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was going to be my role. Well, first, first day rolls around a competition and it's at, uh, I, I get assigned uh, men's archery because the U.S. <laughs> had a medal contender in that sport, uh, a guy named Brady Ellison, who I believe won silver in the individual competition. Mm -hmm. This is very early uh, in the competition and, and I, uh, do an interview, a one-on-one -on -one with Ellison after the round. Uh, I send back a few updates, a little 20-second bite-sized updates uh, that will be used in the uh, longer-form update for uh, affiliates around the country. And I get back to our, our compound at the International Broadcast Center, and they say, you know, this is, this is really good. Uh, forget about that producing stuff. You're going to be a reporter full-time here. Uh, and so for the next three weeks, I, I'm going out to all kinds of random events. And what was so rewarding about it was uh, I, got, I got input. They, they welcomed that from me. Uh, they said, you know, okay, what strikes you? You know, outside of the major sports, uh, they, they had people uh, stationed at swimming and track and field and basketball, of course gymnastics uh they asked me you know outside of that what's a good story that you know that that required me to do research every day you know who who from the united states uh is a good story you know and could potentially win a medal uh and so that led to uh one of my favorite days not just at the london Olymp on the, the london olympics easy for me to say but <laughs> honestly of uh of my uh brief career and that was when kayla harrison won gold in judo 
uh, Kayla Harrison uh, from uh, from Massachusetts mm-hmm. was just has a a story that will knock you down honestly and then lift you back up. Um, she encountered so many tribulations in her life. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was sexually abused Jeez. by a coach uh, and continued with that sport and turned it into a sense of empowerment. And I, I will never forget, I, you know, I, I pitched the story and our producer said, go get it, go, go after it. And she wins gold. She, it's funny how the, the media crowd grew larger and larger throughout the day because people were turning onto it. They understood as she was winning each match as the day progressed, like this, this is something. And, you know, they're, they're reading the bio and they understand who she is and what she's about. And after she wins gold, she comes through. And I'll never forget that interview. We went about two minutes which is actually very long for the mixed zone, as it's called. They, they usually limit, to, limit it to about three questions, but Kayla is there and, and the emotions are so raw and tears are streaming down her face. And mm-hmm. she was, the joy was just exploding uh, from her. And you know, just, to, just to land that, just to be a small part of that, and be around that greatness and, and what was one of the uh, most uplifting stories of, of that Olympics for Team USA. Uh, that, was, that was so special and something I'll always treasure. Did you do any Winter Olympics or was it just the summer? I went to Sochi in 2014 and there they put me in the mountains. I, I love this assignment because this was the first time that Westwood One trusted me with play-by-play. Oh, wow. And, you know, it, it wasn't so much, it wasn't your traditional, I mean, there was nothing traditional about it. Let's just be honest. It was the, those X Games type of the, uh, the freestyle skiing and the snowboarding, right? Sean White on the half pipe, those kinds of events that you see uh, in the X Games. Uh, I didn't have an analyst. It was just me calling it. And it was more live to tape, but mm-hmm. still it was play by play. And what Howard Deneroff, the executive producer of Westwood One, told me was, hey, don't, don't worry about all those crazy names of the moves and trying to learn those, right? Sean White would throw down the double McTwist 1260 or the, uh, the YOLO flip, the 1440. <laughs> like the listener, the average listener, and honestly, you'd probably say 98% of listeners out there have no idea what you're talking about. If you were able to correctly identify that move and call it the, oh, Sean White, he lands the double McTwist 1260. What is that? Just describe what you see. He helicopters around, he's flipping in the air. He land, you know, if he, if he crashes, right? He, you know, he lands on his backside or he lands face first. Yep. Just, just give me way, just like any sport, describe what you see, stay on top of the action and describe what you see. And so that's, that's what I did. And it's funny, speaking of Sean White, he, he finished fourth. Now he had, he had been coming off uh, gold medals in Torino in 2006 and Vancouver in 2010, but he finished off the medal stand in Sochi. Uh, So 
you know, that, that's, uh, you think, okay, you're going to get this signature moment with one of the stars, superstars of Team USA. It didn't happen, but it was still memorable because he didn't even win a medal. You know, he came back, comeback story, of course, in South Korea and uh, uh, won gold there. But in, uh, in Sochi, there were still so many other memorable stories in the freestyle skiing and, and the other snowboarding events that, that made it uh, worthwhile. So that, that was so much fun, too. When you did that solo broadcast on your own, what are you looking for when you're doing the broadcast solo without an analyst? Because now you have to put your own spin besides calling the play-by-play, maybe adding a little extra as the solo guy instead of having somebody alongside. Yeah, that's a great question, Luther. And, and one thing that helped was, again, being live to tape, number mm-hmm. one, And number two, it's not as if uh, these were even uh, uh, broadcasts that carried an entire competition. So in other words, I wasn't carrying it from the first run with all, let's say, 12 skiers and then doing it all over again as they completed uh, run two in the final round. Uh, What I was instructed to do was just those final runs that would determine who would win which medal. Uh, and so that, that made it so much easier. It's not as if I'm, I'm doing 24 runs in a row down a half pipe. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm just doing the last, let's say, three or four, where, okay, here comes the leader. That's important. And then the last three, can they catch him or her? You know, I, it, it's, it's not the entire competition that would last maybe an hour or an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's just really the last 15 minutes. And then from there, uh, they're cutting only the high line. You know, they're not even, you know, maybe, maybe if it's really, really good, they'll carry the last couple of runs uh, that determine who wins uh, the medal and which medal. Uh, so that, that, that was a lighter burden on me. Um, you know, it's not as if I was uh, doing a baseball game by myself, which so many people do in the minor leagues for three hours each night, where then you do have to inject a lot of uh, storytelling. And, and, you know, that, this was very simple. The directive was you're, you're, calling, you're calling those runs. You're getting in. You're getting out. We're really just using highlights. So... It, it was it was still fun. It was just play-by-play of a uh, of a different stripe. So how would you do game prep, even though you're not doing, like, all 24, 28, maybe 30 runs? How do you keep up with your game prep so you can kind of get a feel for how you're going <clears> to <throat> create an open as the backdrop for the last few runs that you did? Yeah, it, in, in that case, you, you're just you're trying to be efficient with your phrasing. Um, you know, just a, a very brief here, you know, this this is where we are. And again, honestly, like I said, they, they told me we're only using, well, we're almost always only going to use the highlights. So really don't worry about a full open. But just to get in that groove, like you're talking about, Luther, um, 
you know, you still try to, to set the stage. Uh, you know, four, four skiers left or four riders left in the case of snowboarding. Right. ER, this is the situation. This is the leader with however many points or, you know, whatever it is, according, you know, with this score, according to the judges, and, and three riders remain. And first up, you know, so-and-so from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, but, you know, you, you try to have something in your holster uh, in terms of a nugget or two, and then off you go. You know, they're, they're down the half pipe, coming down the mountain and, and trying to throw down tricks. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just a pared down version of, of what we do uh, for a basketball game or a football game or whatever. When you were talking earlier about the announcers you were able to spot for, and you said you went in the lab, how tough or how easy was it to say, okay, I'm learning from the best. Now, how can I take this? What do I learn? How can I take what I learn and apply it? To what my dreams and goals are. Yeah, that's the challenge because on one side, as uh, the great Red Barber, uh, who, you know, uh, of course, is a giant uh, in this industry from from decades ago, and mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Dodgers, and uh, you know, a young Vin Scully once paired with Red Barber, and the story goes that Barber uh, told Vin, at a, at, again, Vin is in his twenties at, at this point. Uh, before they even moved to Los Angeles, and, and Vin becomes the icon uh, that he eventually uh, becomes. He said, don't make sure and don't water your wine. Red Barber told him that, don't water your wine, it, meaning you don't want to, as you try to emulate the people that you look up to, you don't want to be a cheap imitation. Mm-hmm. You still want to find yourself. And it's it's funny because it's the, it's the number one cliche that you always hear from people when they give advice. You just got to be yourself. Yep. And, you know, as the up and comer, you ask yourself, what exactly does that mean? You know, just tell me. And it's, it's so hard to encapsulate, even though it's true. And the more you do it, you you find yourself you do find your voice you find your pace and rhythm and uh it it goes well beyond a catchphrase or anything like that but it's Mm -hmm. personality it's how you interact with people it's how you set things up um you know listen brent musburger you're looking live you know and that's just that's one one of many many ways that allowed brent to stand out and become the legend that he is. You sit up and take notice with that when you hear yeah. you listening live, when yeah. you're listening to Vince Scully say, hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon or evening, wherever you may be, things right. like that. Again, it goes well beyond phrases, you know, mm-hmm. Vince storytelling is par excellence, you know, just the, the way he was able to weave those stories in and around action. And it's funny, he could start a story with two strikes and two outs, and he could still complete the story because the batter at the plate would foul off the next 10 pitches in a row, it seemed like. It just, that's just the way it worked out for Vince Cohen. Um, but as you watch those 
those people work. You know, the, the I loved the energy of Dave of Dave Sims when he mm-hmm. was on Sunday Night Football for so many years on Westwood One. Yep. Uh, working with the likes of uh, Jim Fossil, among many, many others. Bob Trumpy, James Bob Lofton. Bob Trumpy, James Lofton, absolutely. The late uh, Dennis Green for one game, and okay. other coaches that have, you know, Dan Reeves, who joined him in the yeah. booth. I mean, I listen to all, the, I listen to all those guys. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think just myself, I, as I listen to more and more, I gravitated towards Ian Eagle and Dave Pash. Oh, yeah. And Kevin Kugler, I, I love how they inject humor and personality into the game while still staying on top of the action. And listen, there, there are many who do it. Uh, and, and, you know, Ian always likes to say, we are all flavors of ice cream. <laughs> it's, you know, what, what are you into? What do you really like today? What do you like this month? Um, I, I have always liked that brand of ice cream that they're selling, whether it be I and Dave Pash, Kevin Kugler, and listen, there, there are many, many others that I truly enjoy, but those are the, the really the top three for me. And that, that, that changes. I, I, lo- I love Dan Schulman as well. And listen, we can, well, so do I, we, we, we can, we can sit here and drop names, Kevin Harlan for crying out loud. Of course. And uh, he, he is brilliant. Um, I just, I, I love I love those, those, those three that I mentioned. I love their rhythm. I, I love, like I said, their personality and just, just how they, they treat certain situations. Um, so that's, that's the deal. You, you're able to watch them up close and you see when just little things, little things that you'd never even be able to tell if you were only listening on the radio. And that is when Ian decides to look down and consult his boards you know, or, or when he stays with the action. Um, just tiny things like that. Uh, so, so helpful. So when you got the tea, when you first um, wandered into TV, what were, what were the rules of thumb or what things did you feel like you had to learn since you were basically on radio for a while? Yeah, that, that's where all my opportunities were, Luther. You're absolutely right. And TV was always a goal of mine, but I, I, I don't know if I had heard it from somebody, but I, I just had this feeling that you start in radio as a play-by-play announcer and you graduate to TV. It's just studying the paths of so many that I admire. Locally, Mark Folliwell, he was the radio voice of the Mavericks before he landed the TV job. Ian Eagle, uh, radio with the Nets for for one year. It was just one year, but then uh, being promoted uh, to TV. Mark Albert, radio for so many years. And I mean, you know, listen, he is basketball on television, uh, but he started as a radio guy. And And then he went back to radio to do Westworld World for a little while doing Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football and the Super Bowl for many years. You're and Sunday right. Night from time to time. Yes, for sure. So that's just, that's how I thought my career should map out. And honestly, there just, there weren't many TV opportunities around. There was no local cable access, you know, station doing high school football. I, I would have loved to do that. 
but all the opportunities were radio. At least, you know, there were none that were available to me. So it just comes around in 2015 in the spring during right. Rangers spring training, a buddy of mine named Jared Sandler, who is the pre and post game host for the Texas Rangers. And we'll fill in from time to time when they, when the legend Nadell needs a break. Yeah. He does about 20 games a year. Uh, so Jared was also doing uh, the TV for the Texas legends, the uh, D league now G league affiliate of the Dallas Mavericks. Right. Uh, Jared goes to spring training for a couple of weeks and, and he's out and he just, he passes along my name to the legends. And so I fill in for him on a couple of games. It's the first TV I had done since college. Not that that really counts <laughs> back in, back at North Texas. Exactly. Know, nobody's hiring me off that tape from 2009. Uh, so this, this was all new. Uh, right. So I do two games. Right. And, I thought they went pretty well. I put a tape together. I send it off uh, first to the people that I trust. You know, hey, is this any good? Including Mark Followell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they give me some advice here and there, little things to work on. But they say, hey, overall, all things considered, this is really solid. And so I, I send it off to ESPN. Just, hey, out of nowhere, what, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to tell me no, or they're not going to even respond? Oh, well, technically, they only have two options. Either they can say, well, three. Yes, no, or we like your work, but you still need some improvement. Yeah, or, or they just, or it's just complete silence, which, you know, hey, that, that, that has happened to me at other outlets. Now, that's the worst option. Yeah, sure, but that that happens, as we know. That's just that's part of this business. Like in in the broadcast wilderness, with no with no with no harbor to go to. Right. <laughs> right. So, I send that off to ESPN in May of 2015. I I receive a a boilerplate email from uh, from their talent office that's essentially, you know, hey, we and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but hey, we re- we receive a lot of tapes or a lot of links to reels, and uh, if we're interested, we'll call you. You know, that's that's how it is. Basically, like, like that like that classic song, "Don't call us, we'll call you." Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. And you know, so I I don't think anything of it the rest of the summer. I, sure. I don't I don't hear a word until early August. And I get a call out of nowhere, and I answer, and uh, it's Chris Farrow, coordinating producer for ESPN College Basketball. And he says, I bet you didn't expect to hear from me. I say, that is a massive understatement. (laughs) Chris, what can I do for you? And he says, I really like your tape. I want to hire you. (laughs) And I say, And in your mind, you're probably thinking, really? There, I honestly, the thought crosses your mind: is this is this some prank from one of my friends? <laughs> is this some kind of a joke? All the time, sure. But, you know, after a while, you just uh, you, you roll with it. I mean, he says, uh, you know, we we want to hire you for about ten games. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Uh, mm-hmm. How does that sound with you? You know, maybe a little bit in the uh, the American Athletic Conference. You know, SMU, Houston. You're down there in Texas. How does that sound? And internally, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me check my calendar. Let's see if that works. And they're like, no, well, you jump at it. Yes, that sounds great. I, I'm a terrible negotiator. Like, <laughs> you, you jump all over it. And uh, Like, oh, really? 
man, that's just that that's the that's the the kind of break that you just you don't see coming. And and those those are the best phone calls. That's that is why you you know all those years of setting up your own equipment at uh, some random high school gym and and haggling over a uh, broadcast position with the uh, the stadium guy or you know whoever it is that that's what makes all of that worth it when you get that call uh, and so I, I was so blessed and man uh, 10 games turned to 23 that first year and it's it's only grown since then and I'm just I'm so proud to be a small part of that team at ESPN for for college basketball and for high school basketball. And for me, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still doing the one man shop thing. I mean, I just have myself and, you know, whoever is spotting for me, we just go. And if we're lucky enough to drive and do the road trips, we'll just go and then come home. And hopefully on, you know, Friday nights, whenever the games get uploaded, hopefully Friday night, maybe Saturday morning, but games get uploaded and hopefully they sound good enough and hopefully I don't know who's listening. I, I really don't. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's somebody of importance or if it's a mom, a, a dad, a grandmother, granddaughter, a granddad, or, you know, anybody in that particular kid's family, you want to call the game. Well, especially for their, you know, kid. Because, you, you know, they they want to know how, you know, their kids do it. And you want to actually call it the best way you can. Yeah, it, it's a sense of pride. You're absolutely, Luther, I've been there. I, I was there for many, many <laughs> years. You, you wonder who's out there on the other end. But even if it's just for one person who's tuning in on online, you know, from Dubuque, Iowa, you know, mm -hmm. some grand, some uh, grandmother or grandfather, you know, whose uh, whose grandkid is on the field or on the court that night. It makes yep. it all worth it because, again, you know, at that that stage, you know, you're you're trying to improve, and you're still yeah, even doing it just for your own benefits. Sure. Just so you can get better. It's it's another rep, and every one of those reps is so valuable. What? Do you listen for any young broadcasters that email you like I have? What do you listen for? How can you tell if that person has it or they don't in your in your humble opinion? You know, and that's so hard to tell because, first of all, as we've talked about, the business is so subjective. Yeah. But what I try to do, if somebody emails me and, and sends me a link, uh, I try to apply all the advice that I've been given over the years, all, all the feedback that I've received. It's not just what I personally think. I, I try to put on my Westwood One hat or ESPN hat if it's, if it's TV and everything that they emphasize. And, you know, on radio, uh, you know, the, again, even, even the Bill Mercer hat, just, mm -hmm. just the fundamentals, the basics, uh, strong action verbs, uh, you know, staying on top of the action, voice quality, rhythm, cadence, how you interact with your analyst, 
Um, you know, there's there is a, a list of things, but uh, you know, you, overall, you can usually tell, uh, you know, by a five to ten minute clip. So now that you've you know been in TV for a while, radio, and I know both are different in their own right. But how do you stick to the basics depending on what you're doing that particular day, either a radio broadcast or if you're doing TV? Because on TV, picture tells the story, you don't have to say much. For radio, you still have to paint it. Yeah, like, uh, very different. Very different. I love them both because they offer different challenges. Mm -hmm. Radio, like you said, it is all about description, uh, identification, description, location, uh, especially in basketball. Um, I, I love that challenge and especially pointing out the little details that help bring that game to life. Right. You know, whether it's a, uh, an armband uh, or a, a knee brace, uh, just those little things that, that, uh, are the extra brush strokes that can help paint that picture even better. Um, and of course on TV, like you said, the pictures do tell the story. So how can I enhance that? How can I provide those captions? How can I provide uh, the lyrics uh, to this soundtrack? While of course on television, the analyst is the star. Right. How can I set him or her up the best? How can I interact with them to let them shine. Um, I, I want to be economical uh, with my words. I, I'm not calling every pass, you know, in basketball. I'm laying out when I need to. Uh, I'm capturing the moment, yes, uh, but I'm getting out of the way uh, if the pictures can tell the better story and tell a better story than I ever could. It, it's a balance and it's something that I've, I've had to learn over the course of five years with ESPN uh, because I, I wasn't all that comfortable doing it. Obviously, first year or two, I just hadn't done much TV. I was hired off those two games with the legends that I put a reel together, but I was no veteran. I, I'm still not a veteran, but I, I feel much more comfortable now in year five, certainly than I did in year one. And that's, that's a little captain obvious, but uh, I, I feel like my development was accelerated in that year two and year three. It's like that light goes on. Oh, now I get it. Now I understand how to prepare and just how I can tee up the analyst the best while also staying on top of the action. So they're, radio and TV, yes, they, they couldn't be more different. Uh, they, they require uh, uh, different skill sets, but I love them both equally. Who are the coaches you enjoyed, you know, interviewing or just being on, even though you're not in an interview setting with them? And what life lessons do you feel like you've learned being around coaches that you have taken from being around coaches in your years of being, doing either radio or TV? Yeah, I, I don't know about life lessons. Uh, you know, it'd be different if I played for some of these great coaches. Sure. 
when, when you're around them in that setting mm-hmm. uh, and learning from them uh, on a daily basis and, and just, just getting the chance to hear them speak uh, in addition to all of the work on the court or on the field. But, uh, man, I, I will say, and, and, and maybe this is a little prisoner of the moment, but <clears throat> about a month ago, we, I did an SMU Wichita State game mm-hmm. uh, in Dallas on ESPNU. And uh, Wichita State, of course, is coached by Greg Marshall. And he has, he has built that program to a level that very few could have ever imagined. Exactly. Leading, leading them from the Missouri Valley, of course, to the American Athletic Conference. And it's, it's just it's remarkable what he's done in about a decade and a half. Um, and he's had so many opportunities to leave. I sure, mean, sure. coach, I mean, every college has knocked on his door yeah, and has called and has tried to, you know, sway him and woo him away from Wichita State. But every time colleges have come knocking on his door, he said no. Yeah, it's just it hasn't been the right opportunity. You know, yes, maybe it's from a the so-called power conference, you know, and by the way, if the American is not considered a power conference, it is knocking on the door because it's a great league for basketball. Uh, I agree with you. But uh, he has his kingdom at Wichita State, and it would, it would take a major opportunity to sway him. So I, I had no interaction with him. I had never had a Wichita State game before this mm-hmm. year. But his uh, level of honesty uh, before the game was refreshing. Right. And uh, there's a lot that we could never use on the air. Honestly, <laughs> I can't even use here. But I just, I love that half hour. I mean, first of all, not many coaches, if, if, if they don't hold a shoot around the day of the game. And this, for this game, tip off was at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Right. SMU had a shoot around that morning. Wichita State declined to use their available time. And, you know, they just, they warmed up before the game, obviously. Right. Their SID says, you know, hey, uh, coach would love to talk with you back in the locker room about 90 minutes before. Man, we went for like 35 minutes. <laughs> and, and usually in that situation when they don't hold shoot around and the coach invites you back there, it's maybe 10 minutes. All right, what you got? You know, and you ask about this player, you know, this thing about your team or whatever, you're in, you're out, and okay, you got what you needed, but they are dialed in. They are so focused about the game. It's it's not a conversation. This was a conversation and about so much more than just what's going on that season on the court, just about life and his life and his family and Mm -hmm. Um, his team overall and the challenges that they had encountered and uh, honestly some of the egos on that team uh, that were eroding uh, the team from within it, it was it was really refreshing to hear and, and honestly I'm not surprised now I, I can say uh, it, it's it's certainly been on the, the the back burner it hasn't gotten major headlines because of everything else going on in the world but Wichita State has seen a mass exodus of players. And right. after that conversation with Greg Marshall, I'm not surprised in the least because uh, Marshall wasn't happy with how that, how that team had gelled or 
Honestly, not Joe. Not Joe. Over the course of uh, the season. So Yeah, because, I mean, I could tell because it just seemed like when they played Memphis or whoever, it seemed like they weren't in it. They were all about the me factor. It wasn't, oh, if we play for the, you know, name on the front instead of my name, right. the team wins. And then if the team wins, I get the benefit because the team did well. It seems like nowadays everybody wants to get their stats. Everybody wants to get, as the voice of, as one of the voices of wrestling, Jim Ross would say, everybody's got to get their push. Everybody's got to get their push. Like, um, is that the be all end all? Because if you're supposed to be that thing called a team, there's no I in that. Never has been, never will be. And I've seen there have been some teams where there's been erosion but they figured it out and they won it all and then like you said with Wichita State heck I remember a Florida team where there was one player Anthony Robertson was all about him and then all of a sudden he was just gone and because of that one person leaving the rest of the team gelled and they got better yeah no I yeah, it's funny enough that game uh against SMU Wichita State was down 24 in the second half came back and won so Figure that out. They they were on the bubble. I mean, who knows if they were going to make the tournament, but they were on the bubble at that mm-hmm. uh, at that uh, point, and that that was a big win on the road for them. Sure, uh, but you know, we'll uh, we'll never know, and uh, we will certainly never know now that um, so many of uh, the players on that team are now former Wichita State shoppers. Either they've gone to the transfer portal, or they've gone, or they thought they were ready to go to the NBA draft when. Sadly, a lot of them won't. Uh, sadly, a lot of them won't be ready for the draft because they didn't really, you know, live out their potential. Because they had an opportunity at, at a, I wouldn't say mid-major, but kind of a mid-major with a major college atmosphere, that if they would have probably stayed and gone for another year, they would have gotten better. And I think for a lot of kids, it's like, oh, how quickly can I? You know, I'll go to college to appease you for a year, but then after that, I'm leaving. Do you, th- do you think it's more a societal issue, or do you think it's more, oh, the kids want to go, you know, immediately to the league without seeing where they really truly are? Man, that's that's a question above my pay grade, I think there, but I think, do think there are so many factors and I I think it's more complicated than the reason that continues to get brought up. And that is, well, it's, it's just millennials. It's the, the, the Mm -hmm. me generation and instant gratification. You hear that so often from coaches. I think that oversimplifies it um, because uh, honestly, coaches can leave whenever they want. Exactly. uh, And so it's a two way street there. Um, Listen, it, it's because I'm not in that environment. I, I don't, I, I don't see. While, while certainly, you know, calling college basketball games, you get to see a side of it. You don't get to see everything. You don't get to see behind those closed doors uh, as often as those players who live it. Right. Uh, and you know, it's it's unfortunate when the player who uh, might have many red flags attached only because, well, he's on his third school in four years. Well, mm-hmm. what are the reasons behind it? Let, let's not just focus on on that. why he decided to leave 
maybe there maybe there's some more reasons behind oh they're extenuating circumstances and again the re- the other reason that gets brought up is well that's just that's that's uh, AAU basketball culture they they play for this team one year and this team the next or this team one week right and this team the next yeah uh, listen they if you're seeing it in the NBA with free agency and and players have power and yes they do that's, that's a good thing that there is nothing wrong with that exactly uh, there is nothing wrong with it's, it it's about time and so if you're trying to see that you know take root it's going to be at the college level too where they can exercise some measure of control and mm-hmm. uh, of course you got the the transfer portal and now with some of the rules being proposed where perhaps we we do away with uh, the the uh, the waiver and, and all of that, the confusion that comes with that. Well, some players are granted a waiver and some players aren't and they have to sit out the year. You know, you can, the rule on the table, I believe if I'm getting it right, is uh, you can transfer once without penalty, without having to sit out a year. Uh, why not? I mean, again, coaches can leave whenever they want. And exactly. In a sport that uh, is fueled by the billions of dollars that come with TV contracts. Um, and the and sport players, players receive only so little, right, in terms of scholarship and yeah. room and board. You know, let's let's make sure and maximize their opportunities. As well. And the ever-dreaded phrase, oh, enjoy it because it's a free education not really, because when you stop and look at it, the yeah. books that they have to buy, the room and board they have to pay for, food they have, to, you know, yeah, they, sti- meal stipends and so on. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, they, they, players deserve so much more, and I get it. You know, the, those that cry, well, then it's a professional sport. Listen, <laughs> if that's what's going to keep you from uh, watching college basketball and especially the NCAA tournament, then you got a problem find something else because they these players they they deserve they deserve a lot more than they're being given and that and that pay for play thing i know i know what was it they were talking about it but then that got shown where the students could actually be paid for some stuff for some things which would go a long way into giving them a chance to deal you know pay for pay for things they deserve to cash in on their image and likeness. <laughs> it's warranted, you know. A guy like Zion, you know, Williamson last year. I mean, yeah, he he is the global star of the college game. You couldn't, you had to tune in anytime he was on the floor. And, of course, you know, a kid like that. Listen, you know exactly where he's headed and where he is now. But he absolutely deserved to uh, maximize his opportunity off the court. Uh, considering who he was. And other players that have, you know, come through college basketball, a Tyler Hansborough, a Ty Lawson. Think of, think of all the things that they would have had that pay-for-play thing in that they're talking about now that probably should have been on the books years ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and you know, sports, they change. I mean, I mean, sports changes. I mean, it doesn't matter what sport you play, football, basketball, whatever. The rules are going to change, but but the same concepts still apply. Uh Uh-oh. 
Yeah, sorry, just you can edit this out, but I, I really got to go soon, Luther. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been about an hour and a half. Oh, no. I mean, I, I didn't mean to keep as long as I did, but... No, no worries. No, I have no problem with the conversation, but if you want to wrap up with just one more question, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, like, before we had this little issue, like the, you know, we were talking about the pay-for-play thing and, you know, college sports or sports in general, you know, the rules are going to change, but the concept's still the same. But I just hope, in your opinion, do you think when everything gets back to whatever this new normal is going to be, do you think the rules that apply to these kids are going to be for the benefit? Or do you think some people are still going to complain about, oh, coaches still get paid millions, kids, you know, they deserve some, but they don't deserve all. But my opinion is this. If the coaches can make that, shouldn't the players, as we've talked about before, get some of the things they feel like they, that they should with their likenesses? And plus, I really hope that the NCAA does the smart thing and those players that did not get a chance to finish out their senior years, however many years they had left, that they have a chance to get at least one more year of eligibility so they can finish out the right way. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Obviously, uh, as we know, the waiver was granted for everyone participating in spring sports. And that's yep. if they barely got their season started. If you're yep. talking about baseball or softball or, or whatever else, obviously, yep. occurs in the spring. Uh, I, I, I'm optimistic by nature, Luther. I, I hope that uh, during this downtime, the NCAA can evaluate things. I, you know, there, it did seem like over the last year that progress is being made. Mm -hmm. uh, on the image and likeness front, like we're talking about, to help players uh, capitalize on that. I, and I think that's only fair. That's because the, the argument, as uh, Jay Billis, our ESPN colleague, has pointed out so many times, mm -hmm. the argument that there's just not enough money. Right. Right. When you see this coach receive this bonus for a, a regular season championship or advancing to the Sweet 16 or whatever it may be, and yet there's just not enough money to go around for players. Come on. You know, wh whether it be a stipend, whether it be allowing them to uh, cash in on image and likeness and uh, use that for their benefit, I'm, I'm hopeful something does happen because the, this is a time – uh, yes. To evaluate, reevaluate everything. Agree. Uh, you know, to, and to make sure it's the best situation possible for everyone. Well, one last thing, because I heard on an interview, what was it, last week, when I was listening to a pod, somebody had asked that said there should be a czar over all of college sports. In your opinion, if, if they did go that route, what do you think the first order of business, if you were the czar of college sports, what would be your first orders of business to get this system fixed so it's a win for everybody and not just a very small handful of a selected few? Oh, man, I, I, I would try to create some kind of panel uh, that it includes someone from every party involved, uh, whether it be 
of course, athletic directors, school presidents, coaches, but most important players. You need representatives from everyone. And honestly, if, if I was in that position, I just want to listen. I would want to listen to everyone involved and what are the issues at play? Because, you, you know, he headlines can get out of control. You know, this guy said this, this guy said that, this is mm -hmm. happening. I want to be able to create a, a vivid picture of what is wrong in, in our game, you know, what, whether it be college basketball, college football, baseball, whatever it may be, and, and right. light of the player, of the coach, everyone, what is their position, what should be done, recommendations, before I even uh, act on anything. Um, you know, and, and, you know, again, that it takes time. But what do we have right now? We've got a ton of time. time. <laughs> and, that la and that lack of communication, it's time to end that because I think that's a big problem in this world today that we don't have a sense of communication on how another person is feeling because it seems like nowadays it's like we, if we don't have to communicate, there's no problems. Nothing, you know, everything's being swept under the rug because we have a lack of communication. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I've taken up more time than I expected to, but this was definitely broadcast gold, man. I appreciate it and hope we can do another one of these. And hopefully when we do another one of these, we get back to what the normal is and hopefully we'll actually have games to actually talk about next time we do another one of these. Sounds good, Luther. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you.